You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. Uh, welcoming back Slava Rabinovich, our uh, regular guest and analyst, and uh, one of the most popular and well-read people on social media in Russia with over 110,000 subscribers, which uh, means that there's something and a lot that people are finding in Slava's uh, posts. Slava, welcome back to the program. Thank, uh, thank you, Yuri. I wanted to talk to you. This is uh, we're we're nearing the end of the year, and so I was thinking, as as you as we look back over this fairly eventful year, maybe not as eventful as, as some, but maybe just as meaningful and uh, relevant to and important to what we're going to be seeing in the future as far as certain trends that either increased or started, as well as some individual events, including very much uh, so just yesterday's killing of Russian ambassador in Turkey. Um, What, in your opinion, do you see as some of the main events uh, that uh, matter from 2016? Yuri, you, um, of course, would like to get my spin on the... uh, kind of summary of what happened in 2016, as most people uh, enjoy reading and listening um, or watching some kind of end-of-the-year closing program on something. It is December. (laughs) Yes, and and, uh, it is um, quite different from a year ago, and... uh, it so happened that uh, I was searching for something on my Facebook under key words. I uh, was searching for a certain uh, posts that I had written, and I knew that I was uh, using those key words. And I came across a post from the December of 2015 with my predictions over to 2016 and giving some summary of what had happened in 2015 by then. Uh, 2016 is um, indeed a a different year in that uh, sense. There is no more uh, hot phase of aggression uh, in Ukraine by Putin and his gang. Uh, Putin has lost this uh, seemingly fascist uh, battle and seemingly fascist ideology altogether, which was called Novorossiya, where he publicly announced his intentions to uh, basically annex the uh, about half of entire Ukraine uh, in uh, the eastern part of it. Um, that has vanished, and there is no rhetoric whatsoever. Uh, however, uh, Putin did um, change gears and he did uh, switch the uh, state-owned propaganda machine into some other topic. He is fond of changing gears and he is fond of uh, changing agenda um, for the Russian population, which is being z- zombied um, and hypnotized by the state media, and that new um, switch was to get the attention away from um, his battle that he lost in Ukraine 
to Syria, to Syria, which has nothing to do with Russia. And when, in fact, it started having something to do with Russia, it certainly has nothing to do with the war against ISIS. And and that was uh, probably the overriding theme in terms of the um, Syrian scenario of uh, leading um, 140 plus million people away from both domestic issues and most other international issues. Um, Obviously, the February of 2015 murder of Boris Nemtsov, the most prominent um, uh, Russian opposition politician, in a uh, kind of murder of uh, extreme uh, showcase violence uh, in 100 meters away from the Kremlin walls, in the direct vicinity of uh, Putin's office in the Kremlin, um, under 30-plus video cameras operated by the uh, presidential security uh, teams and still unresolved uh, case of his murder, this was 2015 in 2016, we did not have this kind of or or similar violence, but we had we had um, absolutely disgusting, illegal, uh, and violent rhetoric against the Russian opposition figures and Russian opposition parties uh, right before the so-called parliamentary elections. These were not elections at all. Um, They were rigged from A to Z uh, in the entire process of what the elections are all about. They were neither democratic nor fair, and they were rigged. And so the ruling so-called party, and I'm saying so-called, quote-unquote, because this is not really a party, and just a mixture of KGB and old Soviet-style bureaucrats that created this uh, strange organ, um, which is calling itself a party. So they got a um, constitutional majority in this puppet parliament and all their other small parties that have been sitting in the parliament all those years uh, they are um, as puppet-like parties as, as the main one. And no opposition, real opposition parties, have been allowed to come even close to the doors of this parliament. And we, of course, in 2016, we have some preview of what perhaps may happen in 2018, with the new presidential elections, um, which so far seem to be um, 
in a similar category as the so-called elections to the so-called parliament this year. Um, I think that the overall temperature is a bit lower, but I'm also puzzled and totally, I would say, even disgusted as a citizen um, that Russian nation um, does not exist and Russian people keep silent and keep inactive in an environment where 20 plus million people uh, already live uh, below the poverty level where the um, in almost entire population uh, sees their real incomes going down third year in a row where there is no absolutely no end to the political and economic crisis there is no plan for dealing with this crisis and the country lives uh, with no internationally recognized borders and there is absolutely no plan how to deal with this and in fact there is uh, you know th there isn't any plan by definition because these people um, in the Kremlin they can't really have any plan they are engaged in something else it's just an unlimited uh, pillage of the country uh, lining up their pockets in unprecedented ways that the world has not seen before and, um, and there is um, uh, absolutely clear stance uh, on their part that they will never be um, uh, stripped of power and um, of course under these circumstances they um, cannot have any reasonable plan or any plan whatsoever uh, to deal with um, a worsening economic and political situation and with the isolation of the country. And as I said, given all that, the Russian nation doesn't exist as a nation. Um, there is a, it's just, just a population which is scattered across the uh, vast lands and concentrated in large cities, but still scattered in their apartment blocks and they just do nothing. And I'm really, I'm surprised at the complete lack of any um, activity on, on the part of the population. And uh, I'm very uh, disappointed that um, the Russian nation as, as a nation uh, proved uh, to be non-existent. Slava, it's certainly, you know, you're certainly making very uh, good points. However, on the issue of Russian nation, I, my, from my observation, it seems that there any efforts at 
you know, let's say energizing Russian nation in Russia are perceived and immediately labeled as nationalists. And those are people that, as far as I can tell, Kremlin is very much at war with, and most of their leaders are in prison. So it's, you know, it's a movement that is not even allowed to develop and uh, people who I feel are a more liberal end of things, progressive, you know, community is concerned that they are also uh, going to be nationalists in a sense of like race wars or something like that. And some of them clearly are. But I think because there's this uh, muddied water about who are nationalists and who are people who are trying to energize Russian nation and get people to hold their government accountable to them, um, there, I think that that's kind of where that idea dies in Russia these days. But I didn't mean to make that kind of a big point, but it just kind of stood out to me something from what you were saying. Um, well, you raise a good question, but uh, it's... Uh, is somewhat uh, biased, again, by probably mm, non-existent facts and, and propaganda that was uh, spread out not only in Russia, but even outside of Russia. Let's have um, an experiment of uh, democratic, fair, and, and honest elections. And uh, I think that um, nationalists will not be supported by the population at large if we indeed did have uh, the uh, elections uh, from A to Z. Um, I refer to the process, um, what elections encompass. And uh, um, I think that the example of Ukraine back in 2014 uh, serves um, as a good lead um, to show what um, the population at large m may vote for. Um, if you remember, uh, there were elections held in Ukraine for the Ukrainian parliament in October of 2014 after, um, you know, several several months after Yanukovych was ousted, in fact, fled the country, and several months after the so-called Euromaidan that they had, a, re a revolution, and uh, um, the nationalist party or um, nationalist parties altogether received something like less than 1% of the vote and seats in the government where um, uh, a Jewish multi-billionaire Vadim Rabinovich with the same last name as mine, although we're not related, uh, won something like three times um, as much votes than all of the nationalist parties combined. And um, he did not even campaign uh, properly. It was a, a very short and very inexpensive campaign for him. So uh, if people in Ukraine, um, and there are 40 million people there, I don't know exactly how many eligible voters um, um, uh, registered in Ukraine. I think, uh, well, we can easily say that you know over 20 million probably, for sure. So uh, it's a good statistical sample um, uh, that the, the this 
marginal nationalist parties or even mainstream nationalist parties nationalist parties do not have a huge uh, following among the uh, the voters so it's uh, this uh, um, so-called strashilka in russian which is like a something like that a scarecrow have. exactly um so i think that's the answer to your question we would never find out until uh, we have the um, the fair and, and democratic elections but we can use the scarecrow uh for not having them ever by by using the nationalist movement as a scarecrow is that what you're saying yes right and uh you know and, and uh I think it also means uh, foreign involvement as as Ukraine has experienced, but uh, that's uh, you know I, I, I <laughs> we have such limited time today, and I really want to hit on several other things. But the the idea you know because I had a great conversation with Vitaly Portnikov. Uh, unfortunately for our English listeners, that was in in Russian, and uh, he was pointing out the the birth of Ukrainian nation that came because of this uh, situation with the war in Eastern Ukraine and Crimea and. and so forth and, and Maidan of course is that um, now there's people of different nationalities who identify themselves as Ukrainian um, because of those events it's kind of like they became stockholders active stockholders in their corporation I guess is how I compare it to and, and Russian people just so far from what you're saying Slava are, are refusing to take ownership in their corporation <clears throat> well I enjoy reading and listening to Vitaly Portnikov And um, he said, of course, uh, very right things about that. I said uh, the same thing back in 2014. Um, Ukrainian people have uh, Putin to thank for uh, nation building that he started. And he is uh, almost like a founding, uh, the founding father of, of the Ukrainian nation, regardless of uh, eth ethnicity and, and, and nationality on the ethnic basis. So, um, so, so Moscow will have a giant. Is does have a giant statue of Knyaz uh, Count of Vladimir uh, to take its roots back from Ukraine, and Ukraine could have a big statue of Putin as as the father of the nation. That could be quite ironic. Um, All right, really, I want to shift to other things. Uh, you're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm uh, excited, as you can tell, to be joined by uh, Slava Rabinovich, directly from... Uh, Slava, are you in Moscow? Moscow right now. Yes, you're in Moscow right Just now. Just arrived yesterday. Oh, welcome back, back to Russia, right. And... Um, Um, well, we're speaking about end of the year ideas for this is a December conversation. And uh, also, I wanted to touch on the fact that there's, uh, well, from American point of view, when we look at Russia, um, the concern keeps going back to because Russia all of a sudden is now on the front pages of our news. As you saw Saturday Night Live, you know, has Putin almost like as a regular character now and always shirtless. Um, that's how we know it's Putin. Um, but the question is of seriousness. How serious is the idea that Kremlin is hacking us? Are we, do you, sh should we dismiss it from, you know, from this side of the ocean as politics as usual? Or is there a bigger threat that, that you think we should be aware of that comes from this hacking? Um, no, you should not be dismissing this at all. It should be 
uh, investigated and dealt with with all the power that the United States of America have. Um, and um, the calls that I hear from the Congress and the Senate floors um, uh, about this, uh, to follow up what CIA and FBI are talking about, um, this is what needs to be done uh, in order for America to preserve its democracy, its integrity, and its constitution, and its way of life. And uh, <clears throat> I'm disappointed that President Obama turned out to be not the right leader to deal with the new or resurrected evil empire as it is, um, uh, as it is uh, once again um, in existence in the world, um, headed up by a former KGB um, colonel. And um, most of the um, <clears throat> Obama's actions over the last two plus years have been inadequate, as I see. Um, I see it in uh, dealing with Putin's Russia. And um, uh, we are yet to see what um, Trump administration would do in this regard. But uh, again, all of the things that Trump said in his pre-election election campaign um, doesn't give me good expectations on how America will be dealing with this kind of threat. And Russia is a threat. It's not a fake threat. It's not imaginary threat. It's threat that materialized in Russia waging a war against Georgia in 2008, waging a war against Ukraine in 2014, annexing a part of Ukrainian territory, um, which has never happened in Europe since World War II. It, um, um, but why does it matter to us here in the United States, I think is a question that a lot of people find themselves asking, because okay, especially about- for, for Trump voters who feel like world order, and that's what Russia is breaking, is really existing world order, wasn't such a hot thing to begin with, because it sounds like it's some, you know, some big entity oppressing everybody. So um, what's, what's the harm to us? Well, you can... Uh- Try to sit back and enjoy, and then uh, see what happens there after that. Uh, you can draw a parallel to 1938, for example, and ask yourself whether the United States uh, would have been better off uh, dealing with Hitler as they did, or actually confronting Hitler back then. What would be what would have been the stakes, uh, higher or lower, if uh, the U.S. would have not had this unconfrontational stance in 1938? It is absolutely clear to me that uh, um, Russia in 2014-2016 is the country of um, rising fascist power, that is similar to some of the regimes um, in the past 
just before the World War II broke out. It has some elements of Nazi Germany, it has some elements of fascist Spain, it has some elements of fascist Italy. And um, um, the U.S., of course, can continue along the same path, but I think that in the future it will run into a much higher cost of dealing um, with Russia when it would be too late to um, um, to is extinguish something that uh, the U.S. could have done before. And, and, and also, on top of that, you know, if Russia breaks into the election system um, in the U.S., it is, um, I think it's unprecedented in terms of the U.S. history. It was obviously <laughs> somewhat... Uh, with pre precedence, uh, vice versa, the United States of America influenced um, some of the elections around the world over the course of the 20th century. But um, uh, the U.S. has never had any real attacks on its on it, on its own constitution and on its electoral process. And this is the another precedent uh, right now. Um, so the uh, prop, the proposal is to do nothing. Well, I think that um, it's when you, when you talk about the institution of presidency in the United States, uh, that's what leaders are for. Uh, the leadership is uh, a part of a job description of a U.S. president. So neither Obama nor Trump uh, seem to be realizing what leadership in this respect is all about then what you know and uh um well i mean okay i can kind of imagine that direction that if we uh, are strong a strong leader would have stronger sanctions you're not necessarily advocating war with russia you're just saying that stronger sanctions would remedy the situation um but i well that's at least that's what you said in the past but um, I think Pearl Harbor is an important point because if we are not attacked, if we had United States were not attacked uh, in Pearl Harbor in 1941, there is you know lots of historians that would argue that we wouldn't even be I think in in World War II, or at least we would definitely enter at a different point. Um, you know, if Putin doesn't explicitly attack us. Um, you know, of course, had Hillary Clinton been elected, I suppose she could have considered this to be um, a serious um, attack because Donald Trump doesn't seem to treat it as such. So who who knows? You know, what what can we expect? Well, I don't want to get into the argument uh, here of alternative history, although I kind of started it with you. Um, the... Um, the possibility of somebody breaking into the electoral system in the U.S. is really um, a thing of the 21st century and of the um, hybrid war that Russia is waging. And uh, if you believe that uh, Pearl Harbor was something of a different sort back in, um, um, in in during the World War II, then I would argue that 
the current hybrid war that Putin is waging is uh, on the same scale as Pearl Harbor, although it's not on the battlefield, uh, neither at sea nor at the land. Uh, but it's a real war. And, uh, in that case, in that case, the war is underway. It has a, it has started over two years ago, of course. Or some would argue that it started with the so-called Munich speech of Putin back in 2007, although he did not proceed with uh, his ideas straight away. But uh, definitely the um, war against Georgia was probably a clear beginning uh, uh, for delivering um, on what he said in his uh, Munich speech. And obviously the 2014 uh, war against Ukraine and all other um, uh, unbelievable things that he has done in the world, including Syria, including um, all um, international propaganda, including all this hybrid war, um, ways and means of waging a war. This is uh, by no doubt um, it, it is uh, a third world war of a hybrid type. And uh, in fact, it, it is, you know, many leaders in many countries and many uh, people around the world do not understand that because they have never seen anything like that because, you know, centuries and thousands of years of human civilization um, did not see examples of such hybrid wars they the, the, these were like physical wars and this is like the first time that we see serious consequences uh, very serious consequences in uh, because of this hybrid war that Putin is waging Slava, it seems like we're doing nothing but pra uh, singing praises of Mr. Putin. He is the father of Ukrainian nation. He is the father of this new kind of warfare. Uh, in thousand years, you know, could be quite an interesting character. Um, not, it's, and uh, I think in the end, there's a lot of uh, we, we lack a lot of clarity because we don't know what President Trump is going to do for certain. So as as you are a person that is, uh, I think, fairly known for making some accurate predictions about, um, well, some rational things, what do you expect to happen in 2017? Well, um, as I said before, um, I think in um, our previous uh, conversation, it's getting more and more difficult to make predictions because it is more and more clear that um, all institutions that uh, in some shape or form should have been functioning, at least on the surface, seem to be completely dead. And um, uh, if you lack all the institutions that comprise the state, if you have a failing state, um, it is impossible to make prediction of what would happen to it because of no institutions uh, um, um, which could comprise that state. Um, I honestly don't know what would happen. Uh, we don't have um, not only the division of um, judicial power, parliamentary power, and executive power, in fact, we don't have 
these branches of power at all. These were just, uh, they, they were made a mockery of, of these branches of power. We have a full-scale dictatorship um, combined with uh, um, state capitalism, which transferred itself into um, bandit neo-feudalism. And uh, uh, Putin is holding on to power, not only for the sake of power, but for the sake of his uh, life and freedom. Um, and I think that he um, can only give up power in case he is dead, um, whether it's going to be a natural death or not a natural death of natural causes. So um, in 2017 is the year preceding uh, the presidential elections of 2018. And uh, it is, at least now, uh, seems to be that Putin would like to install himself again uh, on the throne for the next six years. And uh, um, it is absolutely unclear to me whether there is this um, there are internal resources in Russia which are capable of um, uh, organizing a, a, some sort of a palace coup. Um, if there is no palace coup, it is difficult for me to see um, that in 2018 there will be a different president. And um, uh, yet, at the same time, it is difficult for me to see Putin sitting through 2024 um, because the entire country is running on unsustainable um, political and economic platform. It it, it is going to collapse in some way or another. But that's the whole problem with uh, ask ask the guys like like Nassim Taleb, um, um, uh, you know, with his theory of... uh, a black swan. I think that the uh, the more we go further down that path of a very shaky, unpredictable um, uh, situation in Russia, the more we have a probability of black uh, of a black swan uh, being uh, some kind of a catalyst to the uh, disintegration um, of the whole system um, uh, as in a house of cards. And um, therefore, uh, some people would predict that Putin will sit through 2024. Some would say that he will be um, assassinated tomorrow. Um, But these uh, scenarios, I think, have um, same probability waiting in a million of other scenarios that we just are unable to predict just because we went too far along the disintegration of the state. So I guess black swans matter. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yes, they do. But, but um, it's the whole, th- uh, the whole point is that black swans are events that is impossible to predict. And therefore we 
cannot cannot predict the events and we cannot predict the consequences. Absolutely. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Uh, Slava Rabinovich, thank you so much for being once again on the program. Thank you, Yuri. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report. <laughs> 